1: Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate for January 17th, 2020. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find Open the Voice Gate on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast feed or on our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms. If you'd like to donate to Open the Voice Gate, please click the link in the show notes. You could do either a single donation or you can do a recurring donation. No obligation, but we'd appreciate any donations coming our way. You can find us on Twitter at Open VoiceGate. and I'm one of your hosts. It's Earl Powell on my experience, and join us always by my co-host, Case Lowe. And Case, we, we moved our schedules a little bit this week because we had a feeling that we wanted to talk about this core again, and boy, has it been a week in Dragon Gate.
2: It's been an eventful week that is going to spiral into next week as well as we have a show on the 19th of July that is making tape and will air live on the Drangate Network. So for as much as we have to cover today, it's not going to slow down anytime soon. But to me, that is perfectly okay because for so long we went without any sort of meaningful Drangate action. We went five months without a Corican Hall show. February is the last time they ran Corican before this week. And judging from the social media of the wrestlers in the company, as well as the fans that I follow that live in Japan this was a joyous occasion for everybody involved. They all seemed really excited that Gate was back in Cork and Hall. We had a super hot, super lively crowd in Osaka last weekend. We'll talk about that show as well. So things are on the upward trajectory. I, I feel like we've been talking a lot about the future of the company and how strong we feel about the future, but we have also – been in this position before. I mean, the discourse three or four years ago was: you've got Shimizu, and you've got Benkei, and you've got T Hawk, and you've got Aita, uh, and you've got Flamita. And Takahiro Yamamura and all of these guys that were like, wow, this is the future. And as we know, you know, T-Hawk's gone, Flamita's gone, Yamamura's, you know, injured, will likely at least hopefully never wrestle again just because I don't want him to to aggravate yet another life-threatening injury. And also he's out of the company. So we thought we were approaching this golden era of talent a few years ago, and it just didn't work out like that. I mean, we have Kay pinning Pac at Kobe world last year, we're coming up on the one year anniversary of that, which no matter what happens for the rest of Ben K's career, he will have that moment. And I'm glad that he has that moment because that match ruled the build of that match ruled. And that reign, even though it was much shorter than we expected was a phenomenal title reign. and big R Shimizu, while maybe he's not the world champion wrestler that I thought he was going to be, Has had a respectable career and and will continue to do so. But we now are approaching this time period where Drangate has been fostering these young wrestlers. There's been a lot of bubbling on the undercards of like, wow, that guy's really got something. He's really showing something. And we are now seeing that transition Of those guys that we hyped for so long, guys that might have been a little under the radar to a casual Western fan that is simply dipping in for a cork and haul at one of the big five shows and then moving on with their life. We are seeing a transition in the roster and all signs right now point to everything working for the company's favor. And I am so delighted at the direction this company is heading.
1: And it's something where we say the direction of the favor and their schedule. It kind of other than like the obvious horrible break, this has set up a very interesting back half of 2020 for them because we don't know when the uh, Kenan Hall show will happen. It's still on the books sometime this year, but we're now two weeks away from Wakayama, and Wakayama's they're treating as a big show. And you're talking about this youthful elevation and. You look at the top two title matches that we already have signed. We already have Aita getting his first Dreamgate shot. We have Coda Minenora and Jason Lee getting a tag team title shot. And it's just building from there. And you like look at it, and each month from here on out is going to have at least one, if not two, big shows for the rest of 2020. And it all feels like it's been like leading to this, that all the months in Lapis Hall, the two empty arena Kobe Samba Hall shows, have kind of like built things up to a simmer that... They were able to come back two weeks ago. They were able to come back to KBS Hall, and ever since then, they hit the ground running, and it did not stop this week. And it's something that I find really remarkable, and it's giving me something a little bit more to like bite into than real. Weirdly enough, like I, I feel a lot better about the company right now coming out of everything than i did like in january and february which which it might just be me being excited that we have shows back but it's a very exciting time and if you're someone who listens and is not necessarily always on top of everything in Dragate, this is going to be a really exciting time to follow the company i believe over the last five months of 2020
2: well the schedule is insane because right. as you mentioned kobe world hall will happen at some point. Now, I'm looking at the calendar right now, and my gut says October, right? because it, it almost has to be, because, like Mike mentioned, we've got... The Wakayama show, uh, uh, Memorial Gate and Wakayama. That's coming up on August second, which is, is shockingly close. Two I weeks. looked at the calendar yesterday. and it Was like, oh my god, that I I was expecting like another like six weeks of Doy and A to build, and then I was like, <laughs> oh no, that match is happening now. But that is a big show that has always been considered a big show, but because of the broadcasting deals around it, it just has never. It's really hardly ever been seen by the West because it was a show that was exclusively put out on on DVD at points. And then you go to Dangerous Gate in September, which we have a main event for now. They're, they're moving the Dead or Alive cage match that was supposed to happen in May in uh, Aichi. That is now happening in Tokyo, Dangerous Gate, September 21st. November has Gate of Destiny. And Gate of Origin, which are two pay-per-view level shows, even if Gate of Origin is much smaller. And then December, you have the one Cork and Hall show. As of now, there's only one Cork and Hall announced in December, not two. And then you have Final Gate sometime that year in Fukuoka. So assuming World gets put in October, we're now on a monthly pay-per-view schedule Akin to WWE, almost. I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, New Japan, I guess, but I, New Japan's schedule is so sporadic, and you know they're not only running one, you know, air quotes pay per view caliber show a month. Typically, they're running two or three. So it's it's really closer to that more Americanized WWE schedule of building towards the monthly pay per view. And we don't necessarily have enough distance yet out of the Empty Arena Kobe shows to say that they've handled everything well. But where we are currently in the timeline, they were able to heat up Ada in the Empty Arena shows. I mean, they they helped cultivate and elevate a star during the King of Gate Empty Arena shows and the, the preceding Rainbow Gate shows that followed. And now we are seeing... The feuds that they kept hot during that time, the guy that they built, it's all coming to fruition. And then, you know, they hit the ground running with the KBS Hall shows that we talked about recently, the Corkin Hall and the Osaka shows from this past week. And it's only going to continue. I mean, August has Memorial Gate, a KBS Hall show on the 8th, Osaka on the 9th, Corkin Hall on the 12th, Sambo Hall on the 15th, and then a Fukuoka doubleheader on the 23rd, and then another Sambo Hall show on the 30th. So we went months with getting maybe three or four matches a week to now in August. It is going to be a content overload, but given the state of the company, I am delighted at that possibility.
1: Yeah, I think for the first time in history, I'm super excited for Sunday's Kobe Sambo Hall show. As someone who... You, you, you've lived with, with my ups and downs to Sambo Hall, but they've been building up something, everything incredibly well. And it's essentially the go-home show for for Memorial Gate and Wakayama. They're going to have a break. They, they have one more house show in Fukui, but that's pretty much it until the uh, Wakayama show. So like we're at, like, okay, we're looking straight down the barrel at this. And there's so much going on here that, you know, I went a long period without having a Dragon Gate notebook match. But this week I had two notebook matches by itself, and it's really, really exciting time. And it was something that I, I think we were both waiting for. And and then their return to Osaka on the twelfth was just a really exceptional and fun show. Just to transition over to that, and the, what they did, I thought was really interesting about this case was so with the uh, distancing of regulations and how Dragon Gate's deciding to take it and and their protocol. They ran Osaka Edeon 2 like they usually would about this time. But What they did that was pretty smart was they knew there was going to be distance and they found a way to basically cut Edeon 2 in half and tra- and, and space everyone out appropriately. Like this was probably the most, one of the most spaced out shows they've had since they came back. But they had it like in a, in a side of it so that the sound acoustics was great and just attitude like this incredible uh, Osaka show.
2: If I was a company in Japan right now, I would be scrambling... To book Osaka 2 as much as possible, because if you weren't aware of, I guess if you've been sleeping under a rock and you just weren't aware of everything that's happening, I don't know if you could look at the hard cam and tell that there was a limited capacity crowd on hand. I don't want to say there was no social distancing because there clearly was in every photo that I saw from inside the venue, people looked to be appropriately spaced out. But There was just an aura and an atmosphere to that arena that felt like a normal show. Even the KBS Hall shows, for as lively as they were, it kind of fell into that, like I talked about last week, that PGA Tour thing of Mm -hmm. like very polite golf claps, and that was nice. Osaka, it's not like they were raising their voice. They were still following all of the guidelines in place. But you could tell from beginning to end, the crowd was into this card, and they were treated to... A really, really good show. I mean, Gate in Osaka number two is one of the safest bets in wrestling. I don't know, even 2017, 2018, when I was really cold on parts of the company, they roll into Osaka too. I know I'm going to get a good show. And this was no different. And it's unfortunate that uh, I- I'm assuming, I'm assuming Mike and I did not talk about this. I'm assuming this show will drop on the 18th. So if you're listening to it then, Osaka gets pulled from Dragon Gate Network on the 19th. So, run, don't walk to watch that Osaka show. We'll break it down. We'll give you the match recommendations. Unfortunately, just given the nature of the network, it will not be on. Uh, it will not be available for that much longer.
1: Yeah, it's uh, for new newcomers. Dragon Gate Network operates mostly on a seven-day on-demand window. Then it closes for about a month to a month and a half until it makes its televised debut and they put the televised form of it up on air but the nice thing also about both of these shows about two hours 15 minutes if you're someone that just like you know that they're going to be doing mic time and you don't have any interest and you don't understand what they're saying you could get through the show in two hours just under two hours so it's an easy watch attendance was 285 again this is with the uh with the restrictions and the one thing that I noted, and I don't know if you caught this, I was reading the Observer this morning, and for one time, Dave Meltzer actually had a good Dragon Gate section. For like I a, noticed
2: that too. For I like was, the first I time had in eight to years. Your about that, it was a nice, full, well thought out Dragon Gate section. It was very nice to read in the Observer.
1: Yeah, and, and the point that was made was okay with the restrictions. They're still doing fine because apparently Dragon Gate's merchandise has just been—they've been pushing. And if you follow their. Uh, native Japanese accounts you'll see them talking about merch non-stop so this has been something that you know 285 fans that's usually about a fourth of what they usually get into Sokka 2 that's also because you have the restrictions they're basically having the arena so it's 285 but it turned out to be like a great two-hour show and started off with one uh with two of the uh, new rookie class and exhibition match Kento Kabune the current leader of that class Teamed up with Ho Ho Loon as they face Jimmy, and your main man case, Masahiro Inoue, in a five minute time limit draw. Well, what, since we only really got a little bit of Inoue in January, what were your thoughts of them coming out of this match?
2: I think I pushed back on you calling Masahiro Inoue my man on the last episode, <laughs> but I now proudly claim that title because in a match that features Kenta Kabune, who I Honest to God think if you were talking about true rookies or even sub two, three year experience levels in Japan right now, I think Kabune has to be looked at as the highest and hottest prospect in Japan But Masahiro Inoue, who wrestled a dark match on the Toriumon reunion show in January, January 31st, and then disappeared to a point that I forgot about him until Mike brought him up on the air about a month ago. He doesn't have a roster page on the Drangate website. He's just a guy that is there. We finally see him return here. And Mike, I thought he was the most entertaining guy in the match. He's got this low center of gravity. Like, he's really chaotic and. Like It it looks like he's excited, albeit a bit nervous. I think part of that is like a nervous energy coming off of him. But I like the way he works. He was frantic, and he was exciting, and he was engaging. And this five-minute dark match is worth your time. This was really fun.
1: And I think the thing that really draws me, at least in a way, is for a guy who I'm willing to assume because he does not have full gear still. He's the rare person that starts off with the compression shorts and... Short wrestling shorts or shoes. Uh, his selling is what got me. This guy already seems to have like a great idea of like selling and emotion that like, leads lends to this chaotic style he has. That you, you know, I'm willing to make the assumption that because of him being gone, that they kind of see him not necessarily as like full time ready the way that Kobune is. But I came away with this being like, all right, this is a guy that I feel like he's going to have the kind of charisma. And he's going to have the ability through his, just his physical emotion that this guy is going to be a real fun guy to watch. And of course, Kento uh if we were going to be doing like a top 100 prospects list, Kento would be number one with a bullet, we had another strong performance. Jimmy was someone that, you know, he's getting used to like his new uh, his new added mass and he looked like he had a lot better body control and he's gotten, he's gotten used to it. I know that we thought that would be like a, maybe a couple shows for him to kind of get used to it and... It ended up just being a blast of a match zero. This might be one of my favorite match zeros I've had in a long time.
2: Yeah, well worth your time. I assumed going in, even the fact that it was a match zero and it was all guys kind of on the same level, I had thought Inoue would take the pin, take the fall in some way, shape, or form, just because of of the way that he has been treated again to a far uh, less praise, less promotion than a Kinta Kabune who debuted in December and already has a t-shirt and then a restock of that t-shirt because (laughs) it's sold out. I mean, there there is clearly something there with him that the only time I have felt so strongly about a prospect from his debut match on is when Yuga Hayashi L. Lindemann debuted, and I specifically remember watching his Cork and Hall debut and going, oh, yeah, no, that guy... That guy is going to be something. And then I later learned how good of a promo he was, and he really did turn into a, a hot prospect until perhaps politics demoted him on the Dragon Gate card a little bit. He obviously left, joined up with Shima. TBD on how that's going. It has certainly had its ups and downs ever since. But uh, Kabune is is can't miss. Every time he's on tape right now, I consider it essential
1: viewing. I think he is that Good of a prospect, and we'll get into prospects and heat seekers later on. But he's someone that still only twenty six matches, still at that point. And he's too he's progressed this well this well so far, and it's really wild. The opener for EDION two was a six man tag team match of the lads were all out in forces it was Binke, Strong Machine J, and kesuke Akuda going against the mixed team of Yuzuhi Kanda, Rio Saito, and Gamma. Okuda got the win on Konda in 13 minutes and 21 seconds with the lights out and a really like fun opener. And we got to see like the angriest man, the biggest man. And I I, I think Strong Machine J seems like he's a very suave character. So the, the lads were all out in force to open up the show.
2: I am not a, what I would call a party animal by trade. But if you get me, Ben K, Strong Machine J, and Kaisuke Okuda out in... Rapongi on an evening uh, it is going to be a time to remember it is going to be a beautiful thing I love this lads trio I hope at some point just given their real-life relationship that we get a prolonged Benkei and Akuta team because I think that would be a fascinating dynamic and Kaisuke Akuta someone we will talk about a lot on this podcast even outside of his feud with Kaito Ishida I find what Dragon Gate is doing with him to be particularly interesting. And in a match where you have two thirds of the Open the Triangle Gate champions and Ben K and Strong Machine J, it is Kaisuke Akuda who picks up the win. He hits his lights out on Yasushi Kanda a fine opener 13 minutes for an opener which I wasn't really expecting uh one of the longest matches on the show actually I guess you know guess the fourth longest match on a show with uh six matches so maybe not as impressive as I thought but still a long opener got time to breathe and Kaisuke Okuda looked really good coming out of it
1: yeah I, I mean I think he's the most interesting person in wrestling right now and, and whenever Akuda's on the screen, your eyes are kind of drawn from not only for his ridiculously powerful tan, but like he, he has a very magnetic style that you get drawn towards. And he's very expressive. It makes me wonder, like, he's someone that's been around for a long time. Like, is it the fact that he is with uh, Ultimo and Benke in this that's really like let him come out of his shell? Because he, I, I I feel weird saying like he's the most improved wrestler, but he definitely is like the most interesting wrestler of 2020. And then you had, like, the veteran side, like, Gamma, we haven't got to see a lot of the rest of the year of 2020, but Gamba and Strong Machine J doing some mass grips and just, like, getting kind of sleazy was a lot of fun as well. Uh, to your point on Okuda,
2: I mean, his reign, I guess not his reign, his run in Dragon Gate... I can't imagine it going any better than it has, because this is someone that when he came in full-time, which I think was last year at Dead or Alive, I could be off on the date by a month or two, but it was he May. came in. It was a May. Yeah. It, we were excited at the prospect of him joining the promotion full-time, but you know, this is a guy who was doing Inoki shows. I mean, he was doing IGF, and we weren't entirely sure what we were getting. We weren't entirely sure if the style would mesh, and then... You know, smartly, he was latched on to Mochizuki Dojo and was spending time either wrestling or teaming with Masaki Mochizuki. And, you know, whether it's kayfabe or not, I choose to believe that there was some sort of mentorship going on between Mochizuki and Akuda because he is now the direct heir to that Mochizuki in-ring style that is not duplicated throughout anyone else in the company and he's in the best feud in wrestling right now easy run of the way runaway feud of the year winner in my opinion we'll talk about him and ashita in just a little bit and he's getting so much focus on these cards that it seems like the company is really behind him in a way that i just would have never
1: predicted when he came in yeah no this is astounding and it does feel like that they use the remainder of 2019 as a way to build him and get him ready so that the mentorship from Mochizuki and working with him so much really let him blossom in 2020 and it's been one of the more like positive stories in wrestling this year and it's going to be interesting because he does kind of feel like an heir to Mochizuki but there's one person I don't bet against ever slowing down is Misaki Mochizuki so we could be in a world where sometime in 2021 and 2022 we could be having uh, Kisuke Akuda versus Masaki Mochizuki King of Gate matches. And that's something that I am incredibly here for.
2: You know who else doesn't slow down? That's Masaki Mochizuki's longtime tag partner, Don Fuji. We got big match Fuji on this Osaka show, Mike.
1: Oh, we absolutely did. We didn't just have big match Don Fuji. We had big match Don Fuji facing a rookie, as Don Fuji faced off against the recent debutee Sora Fuchikawa, he defeated Sora in seven minutes and forty-four seconds with a Hime half or half grab. And boy, talking about rookies and talking about like putting people in like positions to perform, and this match was my second was my second favorite match of the show. Like this was this this owned case. Okay? So, like, what were your thoughts about this one?
2: I, I completely agree. And it's you know, a match that despite how great. I guess how very good the main event was. Like, I will remember this Fuji Fujikawa match for the rest of Fujikawa's career because when he debuted, it was like, yeah, okay, he's good. I like him. He was but the other he's guy. Not, he's exactly, he's the other guy to, you know, he debuted in a tag match with Madoka Kakuta, and then you obviously, they, you know, they teamed against Kenta Kabune and Takedo Kamai. So, Yeah, he was the other guy, and I don't feel like we saw a ton of what he is capable of in that tag match. But then he comes here against Fuji, and he really takes it to Fuji. And what was so surprising was not the way that Don Fuji kicked his ass, which he did, and it was glorious. But the respect given to Fuji Kawa, the fact that this match lasted seven and a half minutes— instead of three minutes, the fact that Fujikawa was able to survive and escape until his untimely demise in this match. I mean, there are rookies on this roster that were never, never ever given the respect until they became a guy. Fujikawa's the, the lowest guy on the roster other than Masahiro anyway, And he gets a seven minute match with Don Fuji where he is given multiple hope spots and this, to me, much like Match Zero, essential viewing.
1: Yeah, and, like, Kao is someone that, like, when I first saw him, I, like, tried to get, like, an idea of, okay, what can this guy can be? And he kind of had, like, a very punchable face to in me initially, like, and yes. Don Fuji, like, kind of capitalizing on this and proving, like, yeah, he's kind of, he seems like that his natural inclination will be going Rudo at one point, and... It just was like a really thing, but the crowd was super behind Fujikawa as well. And it should be noted that Don Fuji busted his nose, o- uh, Fujikawa's nose open, like just clubbing and like clawing at his face. And I think that added a lot to Fujikawa's toughness. And it's so exciting right now. I mean, we have five rookies and we have more on the way, and more special ones on the way. And it's just exciting to see this, Don Fuji. Don Fuji should be in every single match for the rest of 2020 if they don't have big plans for Don Fuji. Just so we can get Fuji versus Kabune, Fuji versus Kamai, Fuji versus Fujikawa Part Two, Fuji versus Kakuta, which would be a remarkable match to see, and then Fuji versus Inoue. This is like the the, this is like my wrestling crack is Don Fuji beating up on a rookie, and I just ate up on it for about ten minutes. This match.
2: And now more than ever, there's a plethora of guys for Fuji to destroy. I mean, we just talked about how great all of these rookies are. And at some point they are going to have to run into Don
1: Fuji and it is going to be a disaster. So make time. If you're going to fast forward through the show, big time for this match we could probably go on for minutes about this and one match that i don't think you need to really put some time towards and it's it's a shame because one of my favorite people in the company right now is in it was the Toriumon versus red tag match of ultimo dragon and kinky horiguchi teaming against the red team of the bravegate champion kaido Ishida and diamante Ishida submitted horiguchi in 10 minutes and 53 seconds this was my low match on the show i mean uh, Ultimo Dragon did do anything for five minutes, which I thought was hilarious, but didn't make it to be a great match in my opinion. I, I'm
2: the same way. I think worst match on the show, but not a bad match. No, not bad. I I was really curious about this finish because I I thought Ultimo would go over on Diamante, given that Ishida has defeated Genki Horaguchi and opened the braviate match already. I assumed they weren't going back to the Horaguchi well at some point. But Ishida submitting Horiguchi as definitively as he did is one of those small things, but Horiguchi is still protected to some extent. I mean, to me, a singles victory over Horiguchi means a lot. And then to even though it was, you know, five months ago and it feels like five years ago to double back and to have Ishida definitively submit Horiguchi in this match. That was that was eyebrow raising to me. It's just like, wow. Yeah no Ishida is is firmly ahead of this guy in the pecking order this is cool to see
1: yeah and you know it does make sense that like they were the champion gate break gate match and it's like he he ate his lunch basically for the entire show and and it just was something that was kind of remarkable being like okay Ultimo's here but he's just kind of here and just ended up being probably what I would say the only skippable match on this show uh Match four was Dragon Gate versus Toriumon. Yamato, Kai, and Daya representing Dragon Gate versus Yoshino, Dragon Kid, and Susumi Yokosuka representing Toriumon. Yamato got the pin on Yoshino, which is something that's been happening a lot this year, but with the Frankensteiner of the Almighty in the longest match on the show at 15:44, And Daya and Susumu, like, naturally they should have great chemistry, but case, I watched this match, and I was like, that's going to be a remarkable match. And when that match happens... I hope it's at a Kobe world and Susumu uh, finds a way to turn the reptilian Rana into like the reptilian Rana version of the world liner. I thoroughly enjoyed this one.
2: Well, you know, that's coming. I mean, this company is too smart and too intricate to waste such an opportunity, but Mike, this was my match of the night. You said earlier, Kaisuke Okuda is the most exciting person in wrestling. He is in my top five because there is no one on Earth right now that has the output of Dragon Dia. This is a weird year. I have no idea how awards are going to turn out. I know if I looked at my spreadsheet right now, there would be guys, even in this messed up year, there would be guys with more spreadsheet level matches than Dragon Dia. But with the exception of Kenny Omega, when I think of the best wrestlers of 2020, Dragon Dia is the name that comes to mind. Every single time he steps into the ring, I am prepared to have my mind blown. And sometimes he's not reinventing the wheel. Sometimes he's just playing his hits. But he has cultivated such momentum and such trust with me in the last year due to his incredible output that I am frothing at the mouth to see every single match that this guy is in. And I talked about when we previewed this show. This was a really, really interesting match because you have Yamato and Yoshino, the two generation aces. you have Kai and Susumu, two big guys that hit hard, and then you have Dragon Daya and Dragon Kid. And there's an obvious parallel between the two. All of them had great chemistry. This was three and three quarters. I wanted to go four, I just couldn't, but it's a really good match. But watching Dragon Daya in there with each of the Toriumon guys, dia with Yoshino, Daya with Susumu, and Daya with Dragon Kid, it jumped out to me just how good Dragon Daya is now. He was unbelievable in this match. I, I love this. It's-, it's one that a week later, I'm still thinking about
1: this match. I really had a good time watching it. And they've done something really kind of fun and interesting. I've— Noticed with like the, the these unit warfare matches that happened again later on Cork and where they're able to like put out this output and Dia I think he is easily the person with like the most surefire ceiling in wrestling right now like you like it, he's entirely projectable and you can see where he's going to go and he's going to claim it unless and, and something terrible happens but it, it's funny how they've been adding in a little bit of humor into these matches but in a way that's not completely like giving up the plot in a way and not completely like making it a throwaway match. Like the whole entire idea of Yamato just clowning on Yoshino and then winning the match and cutting a promo and Yoshino wanting to respond. And Yamato goes, no, hit my music. We're done here. You lost. You can't talk. Had me cracking up.
2: Well, it's, it's a subtle thing that, you know, could matter at some point, because even if it is not this Hulk Shingo level hatred, between the units right now there is still that unit warfare going on and that sort of stuff matters because again all signs have pointed to the fact that Masao Yoshino is not going to delay his retirement obviously this is not the 2020 that he thought he would have, but he announced at the beginning of the year that he would retire this year and my understanding is That is still the plan. So Yoshino, even if he's taking falls, which he's been doing a lot of lately, is going to be heavily involved in the booking going forward because Masato Yoshino, other than Yamato, and kind of other than Ultimo, but it's different because Ultimo's looked at as more of a legendary figure. Masato Yoshino is the most important person in the company, and Yamato denying him that promo time is a small thing, but I think it's going to matter down the line.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's definitely like seeing aces of generations going against each other like the past and the present and the future kind of in a lot of ways having some interplay that I really enjoyed but this is another solid match and then we had a, what I thought was a really solid match coming up the semi-final was a straight tag between Torimon and R.E.D. as the T2P team of the Open the Dream Gate champion Toy teams with Shuji Kondo against the uh, King of Gate 2020 winner and the holder of the current Dream Key Ada and Big Arshimizu. Doi got the pin on his challenger in 12 minutes and 55 seconds with what's called a modified clutch. I think this, and we've been trying to figure this out and I wasn't able to go back and figure this out. I think this is the variation of the V9 that he started to use earlier this year, but we, I think it's called like nines might be the, the name that he called it, but, and this match was just like a really fun match and I, I'm going to save like my, my Doi and Ada build thoughts for later on, but boy, Kondo versus Shiz, Shimizu, let's go. We're getting big boys in every unit now and it's great.
2: Yeah, these guys were involved in much more important matches at the Cork and Hall Show, we'll, so we'll table the big-picture thoughts there. I will say just briefly, I didn't love the Doi and Eita chemistry in this match. I think they've had much better interactions with one another, even as they build to their Dreamgate match in Wakayama. But Kondo and Shimizu together is a a mode of delivery of professional wrestling that is going to work literally every single time like i can't imagine a scenario unless one of them starts to completely break down where i get tired of that pairing and whenever they were in the ring with one another it jumped out to me just how fresh and how exciting
1: it was to see those two go at it it feels like that over the quarantine break no one has benefited more from taking three months off like shuji kondo
2: well, yeah, I, I don't remember if we talked about this on the air, or if we talked about this in private, but I don't remember a, a lengthy Shuji Kondo injury. So since his T2P debut, I don't know if he's ever taken three months off. It's not something that rings a bell Uh, To me, it looks like in 2013, he didn't wrestle any matches in July and August and then came back in September. And then in 2016, he was gone April, May and June. So he's had one time in his career since his debut where he didn't wrestle for three consecutive months. And that was I I remember that injury now. I don't remember what the specific injury was, but it obviously derailed him. Uh, And towards those last few years in Wrestle 1, unless he was in the ring with Shima, He wasn't exactly delivering at a high level, but since April 1st, that last Wrestle 1 show, he's been able to kick back, heal up, and I'll have more to say
1: on him later, but my God, he has been exciting since coming back to Dragon Gate. It's been such a delight and something that really, it's a piece that you did not feel like you needed in the puzzle, but since you find that piece and you're like, oh no, now everything makes sense. Suji Kondo, yeah, absolutely. And it ended up like this was a match that really... Three and a half stars I had for mainly Kondo and Shimizu, and then some of the light uh, Doi and Ada things. But it was a, I I I I think they should really be doing like the 100 kilos live tournament. You know, get all the big boys together. Let's see who's the biggest boy of them all.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, God, Jimmy's put on so much weight. You've got enough guys now. I mean, you might as well. You might as yeah. well have Jimmy and Kondo be shoulder blocking each other in the middle of the ring. Kai? Because. All of a sudden, Dragon Gate has, has become where the big boys play. This is the strong division now, and we are talking about Dragon Gate Pro Wrestling, baby. It is a beautiful thing to see.
1: Yeah, and what was also a beautiful thing to see was the main event. It was a trios match, Dragon Gate and RED. It was the Dragon Gate team of KZ, Jason Lee, and Kota Minenura going up against the RED team of BB Hulk, Kazma Sakamoto, and Takashi Yoshida. Minenora got the direct pinfall on Hulk, which is something I called last week, if I remember right, that, that Kota Minenora was going to get the win here and make a, they made a twin gate challenge after that, pinning Hulk with his new finishing move, The Gang, which is a package tiger driver, which is insane. Yeah,
2: I, you were confident in this finish. I was not. I really could not tell what they wanted to do with Minora because if you go back to the KBS Hall shows on the 4th and the 5th. Yes, he went into a time-limit draw with Big R Shimizu, but that match was supposed to be Yosuke-Santa Maria at first. Manora wasn't even on that show initially, and then he had the singles with Susumu the night later, also a time-limit draw, and then these cards came out after the fact. So I wasn't sure if this was going to be one where Hulk kind of kicks his head off and there goes Minora back down the card, or if they were going to do something big, which they did. And although it's not... Entirely comparable. It doesn't feel as hot. The closest comparison I can give to minora's sudden elevation, the two time limit draws, the win here, and then the win at Cork and Hall, it feels similar. Again, it's not the exact same thing, but it feels very similar to the Takahiro Yamamura push of February 2017 where he and Shimizu went to a time limit draw on Corkin, and then in the main event that night, the babyfaces needed two guys to come out. Uh, Shima came out, said, you know, normally I would interject here, but two young guys on the card showed me something tonight. Yamamura and Shimizu come into that main event, and up until his injury, that night made Yamamura's career, and Minora feels on a very similar trajectory with this one, which, it's a win over B.B. Hulk. I mean, guys... Guys pin Hulk, even if Hulk's a champion right now, it's not, it's not pinning Yoshino, and it's not pinning Yomato, but it is, it is BB Hulk, and there was something about this match that just felt big. It was great to see Minoru pinning Hulk is a moment, and then the post-match where the Dragon Gate generation seems elated and it's KZ cutting the go-home promo. It's Jason Lee and Minora standing in the middle of the ring triumphantly, and it is Jason Lee and Minora challenging for the Twin Gate titles at Memorial Gate in Wakiyama. This is what we talk about, We're now these guys that have been bowling on the undercard for so long, they are now getting their shots. This match, not a great match. A good match, not a great match, but a big, legitimate moment in the finish, and that is great to see. You see
1: I'm higher on this match than you are, which kind of surprises me. I went four flat on it. I loved it, but I, also, I went
2: three and a half. It was it never approached being great for me. But I, again, I recognize like the the overall story of the match, the moment really, really great.
1: Yeah, and I think that's what resonated with me was the moment of Minora debuting a move that could be a super finisher and putting out someone like Holku. You know, he is now the elder statesman of the of the Trueborn. When you think about it. And it's it was really definitive. Uh I love the Minora and Lee tag team. I think it's gonna be really interesting to watch the two of them, especially for someone like Jason Lee, who's been around for several years but has has kind of been you, you remember the old stories about how Kakatora was like the ace of the undercards, and but for the last few years it's been Jason Lee and the two of them work so well together and then KZ is the glue. Like whenever is in like a big match like this, you know that he's Going to be the glue of the trios, and it's something that is really remarkable. If it wasn't for the the, the idea of that they're elevating minora up so high, you could almost see like this uh, Dragon Gate Gun team being a future Triangle Gate challenge team. Like they worked so well together, and then Sakamoto has been someone that has been such a great figure on these shows, and it just kind of like did like this, and it was one of those things that I I'm afraid of calling this a, a moment, but and at the time it felt like a moment.
2: I think it will be solidified one way or another by the twin gate match coming up, which look, we'll do a full preview of that show. Yeah. Next week, watching, watching this match and thinking about specifically the career of Jason Lee. I do want to say this now because I am so excited for that twin gate match because Jason Lee came into the company September, 2017 as I really more of an experiment than anything. I mean, he was, you know, came in, established as a pro, so came in with some sort of gimmick and just immediately felt so different on the roster. And then I went back and rewatched Final Gate 2017 right after Lee... Joined maximum so Lee comes in he's just a guy and then kind of quickly progresses and there was a real buzz of like get this guy a unit like he needs to be doing something maximum was shorthanded so he joins maximum and it's doi Yoshino and Jason Lee against BB Hulk Casey and Yamato at final gate 2017 open the triangle gate match I think given the fact that it's final gate So it's a transitional just calendar period. And those matches kind of get lost in the shuffle at times. And the fact that it was 2017 approaching 2018, which is a dark timeline. I think this match gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. I rewatched this match this week and I am not being hyperbolic when I say that the first, I think it's like an 18 minute match, the first 13 minutes or so it's great. It is great. You know, what is going to be a great match. The last five minutes of that Triangle Gate match, you feel like you are watching the greatest wrestling match ever. It is unbelievable how intense it is. And the thing that holds it all together is... Jason Lee, because it's Dory Yoshino, Hulk, KZ Yamato, established stars. Jason Lee is the wild card in that match, and he is the one, not in the big spots, not in the big moments, but he is the one that makes that match interesting. They go on to win the titles there. They have a really fun reign. They have a really good defense against Yamato, Flamita, and Yosuke Santamaria at Champion Gate 2018 And then Jason Lee has that really good final gate match last December, December 2019, against Kaito Ishida. So Jason Lee has a track record of delivering in big spots. Kota Minora is white hot. And Kazuma Sakamoto, who I've got more on later when we break down that Cork and Hall show, those three together, B.B. Hulk can stand in the corner. Now, I still think Hulk has stuff left in him, but Hulk could stand in the corner and just let those three go at it. And I have no doubt that will be a great match
1: and if hulk is able to go from a great to exceptional like that's the thing is like i've this is a match of a very high floor that i think i'm really excited about and yeah no jason lee doing that in fukuoka of all places notoriously one of the coldest venues in all of japan and getting everyone molten hot for that was truly exceptional so
2: I was thinking about that a few days ago. Can you imagine when they have to do a limited capacity Final Gate show this year? How cold and empty that building is
1: going to feel. It's going to be be unbearable. I do not look forward to that. I mean, and that's not, that's like a 5,500 seat arena. So that's 1,200 or maybe 2,700 if they luck out and be able to do a one half, that's going to be weird. It's going to be, it's going to be weird. I wish all venues could be like ED on too, but that's sadly not the case. Uh, This was an exceptional show. As we mentioned earlier, this will remain up on the network until the 19th. It's about two hours. It's well worth your time. I mean, really there's only one match that if you're really pressed for time to skip and you could probably tell which one that is just from looking at the rundown.
2: The biggest win of COVID era wrestling that I hope transitions into the future is these short shows. They removed the 20-minute match time, mat, uh, time limit on the undercards and made it 15. And then the rest of the stuff just flies by. There's no intermission. The promos are kept to a minimum. I hope this is something that uh, transcends all of wrestling, is shortening what could be a three-and-a-half-hour show and making it two hours, 15 minutes. Because I watched this Cork and Hall show live, started at 5.30 a.m. Eastern time, and was done by... Seven twenty, ish. I mean, it it flew by. It was great, and I hope that continues into the
1: future. And it was a fun Cork and Hall show that we should now discuss. Yep, we're gonna get into this. This aired on the fifteenth, which means we'll be up on the network until the twenty second. There might be an English uh, commentary version coming up soon. I did not notice it last night when I was on the network, but I know that Jay was there recording commentary. He's gonna go solo for the time being and they're going to probably do it after the fact but at least the the japanese broadcast version will be up until the 22nd attendance was 494 which i think actually is the largest and show of any company so far since it's reopened back up so hey uh, very obviously that they were doing one-third capacity as they would put like little signs over do not sit here, do not sit here, sit here, do not sit here, <laughs> do not sit here, sit here, which was kind of amusing. It was a, a, again, this was a, this was a little bit longer because they did have the uh, big, uh, they had a longer show closed promo and they had to set up some matches, but still just about like two hours and 20 minutes. So again, another quick watch and just like overall your thoughts on this card. This had my first like match that I, I made me go back and change my Dragon Gate top 10 matches of the year this on this show and then everything else on the show with the exception of the opener was just a fun time.
2: Yeah. Other than the eight man tag from AEW dynamite, it'll be a week and a half ago when this comes out, the young bucks, Lucha bros, FTR. uh, I think butcher and the blade were the fourth team in that. Yeah. That's the best match I've seen since March when everything shut down. But the main event of this show is, is the second best match I've seen. I think, Way better than anything New Japan put on this past weekend. And and depending on how this review goes, I might increasingly become anti-New Japan as we go along because this show was exactly what I wanted it to be. I think, Mike, what, what was the attendance? 494?
1: 494, yeah.
2: Yeah. So 494 seedling ran cork and hall the night before they put in 401 and then big Japan ran two days before they ran a double header. That was, I think 245 for the first show and then 300 for the second show. So this was the biggest cork and hall crowd we've had since February, the venue you could obviously, as Mike said, you could tell there was limited capacity seating going on, but I thought it was a lively atmosphere. I thought it looked good. If this is the way cork and looks for the rest of the year, I could make peace with that because I thought everything was okay. And then, you know, you have a main event that is exceptional. You have a show that is very, very good for the most part. I have a written review up at voices of right now. I can't complain with this. It's Dragon Gate and, and Hall. I had a ball watching this.
1: Yeah, and if anything, I this might have changed, but originally the idea was they're gonna go from one third to one half at Corkin next week, but with the spike in Tokyo, that might not be the case. So Tokyo
2: is the one area of Japan that is seeing a noticeable spike. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's what I thought. Cause I, it's like, I, I mean, you never know, but you know, knock on wood, you could hope that worst case scenario, say come final gate in Fukuoka, cause we were just talking about it and how dead that building typically is. You would hope they can get one half, if not a little bit more in there, but again, who knows, but Tokyo right now is the one that is feeling the heat. Uh, there seems to be an increase in cases every day there right now.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's why things might things might change a lot with Dangerous Gate as it's in September. Who knows? But getting into the show, match zero was a singles match. Giki Horiguchi versus Punch Tomonaga. Ginky won with a backslide from heaven in three minutes and 43 seconds. This basically was the two of them making fun of each other's moves for three minutes
2: it was fine i mean it's natural vibes guys yeah. it's it's funny to think that natural vibes existed because it's just i don't know it feels so long ago even though we right. were a unit last year but yeah no it was a it was a match zero that is did not feature Kenta kabune or Masahiro in a way so you can go ahead and skip it
1: yep yep and then we had the opening trios match this was another dragon gate versus unaffiliated trio's match we had masaki mochizuki uh yuzushi kanda and gamma the unaffiliated team going against the main eventers from the show before kz jason lee kota mininora kota mininora got the pen this time with the gang in three minutes and four seconds on yuzushi kanda and boy th- i love that they did all the callbacks to uh, mochi Jojo in this match case there's a moment in this match where kota minora is sitting
2: on the apron facing the crowd masaki mochizuki is running off the ropes and is about to kick him in the back the way he's done uh, thousands of opponents at this point in his career. And I'm sure it's happened a few times here and there, but from memory, I do not remember another time where Mochizuki delivered that soccer ball kick on the apron and someone, in this case, coach Minora stood up and told him to bring it. And I popped off of my couch when I saw Minora no sell this kick that looks so god-awful to take, and Manora just pops up and says, give me more, and then he and Mochizuki. I mean, there is money to be made there in a singles match at some point because their chemistry was off the charts, and and even with KZ in this match, even with Jason Lee, who is obviously Manora's partner in that upcoming Twin Gate match, this was the Coach Minora show. This match felt like it was focused around him, and he delivered for an opener the way he needed to
1: yeah and it was just such a moment where he shrugged off the pk kick and just basically went fuck you old man and then they like decided to slap the hell out of each other and just was the real focus of this and everyone in this match i felt like brought it i mean kz and jason lee we just talked about how fantastic those two are but i mean even like Conda, who was someone that i was completely like put him out to pasture two years ago bringing it here he's been a lot of fun in this and of course the twenty twenty wrestler year gamma in the opening match and this ended up being like just an absolute blast, like thirteen minutes and it told an impressive story and it, and you know, when talking about how the main event in Osaka was a moment, this felt like this was like the next story about Koda Minonoric being in the almost two years to the day of his match with Mochizuki where he slapped Mochizuki and then joined Mochizuki Dojo. He does not just slap him this time, but he eats a slap and comes back. And I feel like that's just a remarkable callback that I know was intentional. Like, you know that, that, that they were like, okay, we're going to do this again. But this time, Kota, you are going to fight back. And I feel like that, that just made it like a beautiful story to be told in the match.
2: That Minoru-Mojizuki match, which... I think was the September. It was September. I thought, it was, I thought
1: it was July for some well, reason.
2: Well, he he debuted in July 2018.
1: That's,
2: what, that's it, yeah. So I, I think, because he de- debuted July 5th, so we're we're right at the two-year point of his career. I think it was the September Corkin that he and Mochizuki had a kenta versus ricky marvin level sub five minute match i mean that goes in the hall of fame of short matches because Minoru slaps him and then his head gets rearranged by a high kick that match rules
1: yeah 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 and then we had a the singles match on the show it was dragon gate versus R-E-D, yosuke santa maria and big r shimizu having the match that they were going to have in kbs hall Uh Big R Shimizu won just out of the Ricky Marvin Kento range of five minutes and forty three (laughs) seconds with the with the shot put slam. And you know, this was a solid, solid match, like everyone kind of was getting into it. Uh Maria's best when Maria's taking gross bumps and fighting back and and Shimizu, I mean, Shimizu's starting to put it back together after having a really rough start of twenty twenty.
2: I'm really intrigued by the thought process behind this, because like we said earlier, this was supposed to take place on the July 4th KBS hall show and menorah was subbed in there. And that is what started this entire menorah push. So when I saw this match announced on the card, I assumed it was going to lead to something for them to double back and be sure that a Shimizu Santa Maria match happens was suspicious to me. I didn't know what was going on and it ends up really not being much other than a really fun match where it's just Shimizu going for the shot put slam time after time. Maria was able to counter counter counter. And then finally just ate a big shot put. And it was, it was over before, you know, but it's a, it's a fun, again, fun, short match, which is the, I think the trick for both of them, quite honestly, I would like to see both of them in this environment more.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, and it's a very simple story to tell. Having the idea that Maria knows that the shot put slam will end the match regardless. So trying to find ways to counter it constantly, going for like a going for like a narolucci out of it, which is such a, like a interesting thing to do. And then finally, you know, death taxes in the shot put slam. You're gonna one way it's gonna end. And it turned out to be it's just like a just a blast of a five little five minute match. This is not a match that needed to go much longer. It was perfect at that. Uh Match three was Torimon versus RED, the Torimon team of Ultimo Dragon, Don Fuji, and Kagatora versus the RED team of Yoshida, Diamante, and Kazuma Sakamoto. Real sleaze hours on that team. Uh, Diamante got the win on Kagatora with the Volta Finale in 11 minutes and 18 seconds, but the real story of this match was Don Fuji, so far the MVP of July for Dragon Gate and Kazuma Sakamoto.
2: What an unbelievable pairing. And look, I don't get to take a lot of victory laps in (laughs) life. Okay. Forget this podcast. Forget the writing on voice I don't get a lot of victory laps in my life, but I will continue to point out that as soon as Cosmo Sakamoto debuted in this company and he was given an unfair position where people thought it was going to be Pac, maybe the best wrestler on earth. And it ended up being Cosmo Sakamoto. So there was a natural turn against him, but from his debut match on, I was like, no, this this dude has something. he can hang with these guys. And as time has gone on and he's become a pushed commodity, someone who defeated Masaki Mochizuki in King of Gate this year, I have been proven right that Cosmo Sakamoto is a positive addition to the roster and watching he and Don Fuji, Beat each other up, akin to a big Japan or pro wrestling Noah main event. With how hard they were hitting each other, it was delightful, and it made me. And I talk about this in my review, but right before Minoru Suzuki and Suzuki Gun invaded pro wrestling Noah at the start of 2015, there was a lot of discourse about, you know, yes, Suzuki had been pushed in the 2000s. But he was either pushed in New Japan as it was going down or all Japan when business was stagnant. He didn't really have a prolonged run in NOAA up until he invaded. But, you know, from 2012 to 2014, Suzuki was a guy in New Japan that was consistently putting on match-of-the-year contender matches. But – when he wasn't putting on those matches, he was on the undercard against and It was like this weird, like, he's either going to have a four and a half star match or he's going to have a two star match. And there was always this conversation around like, man, could you imagine if Suzuki could become ace of a promotion? Like, could we just get big match Suzuki for a calendar year and see what that's like? And then he went to Noah, and it didn't entirely work out and that conversation stopped. Now, there is no reason and it will never happen that Don Fuji is going to be looked at as a serious elite worker for an entire calendar year. Okay, that ship has sailed, but watching him against Fujikawa on the 12th and then against uh, Cosmo Sakamoto here, oh my God, what a talented seasoned veteran. Someone that's been wrestling for 20 years now, a little bit more than 20 years, and it's just that experience. level. You could just tell Fuji gets it. And when he's not messing around with the Bicycle Brothers, when he's not doing comedy on the undercard, when Fuji brings it, there are few people more talented doing what he does. And I, I just, I, I, this was not a great match. I mean, Ultimo and Kagatora didn't bring a ton to the table. Diamante's still doing the hammer bump. Can't believe it. But Fuji <laughs> and Sakamoto were the guys that brought the heat in this match, and it was great to see.
1: It's just something that, I've been a long-time proponent of Don Fuji. My, my love of the man isn't just for the fact that he is a very charming individual. It's the fact that when he when he, he sets his mind to it, he's one of the more fun brawlers in wrestling. And having Kazuma Sakamoto opposite him, those two guys are like, all right, we're just going to get into it. And it's a shame that the whole entire match wasn't the two of them just getting into it, and you had to deal with the other four. But it just turned out to just be an absolute blast of a match. And, of course, Diamante won because diamante is the pen winner on that side and just you know maybe this was a match where i was like okay this match is a three-star match but every one of those stars is going to don fuji and cosmos akamoto in this
2: yeah no it's it's great to say
1: and then another great to see match was a dragon gate versus red tag keisuke akuda teaming with dragon Daya, two guys i want to know what they what they talk about in the back versus kaido Ishida and hyo Akuda got the win with the sleeper hold on here, and this might be one of my favorite 10-minute matches I've seen in a long time. I love this. Well, it's disgustingly built for us. I mean, these are (laughs) the four guys that we have
2: been pimping before anyone else. I mean, looking at this now, like it just now dawned on me like, oh god, if Mike and Case had a produce show, which by the way— we should have. If you would like to pay Mike and I to book a wrestling card, please DM us. We would love that opportunity. But like, this is what we made of it—a show with. Like, this is exactly what we want because it's Daya and Akuda, who are the two most exciting wrestlers in the world. It's Kaito Ishida, who is probably a top five guy right now, and then it's Yo, who we've just always had a soft spot for, and. The Akuda Ashida feud—it's something we've talked about for months at this point now, dating back to March when they ripped each other apart at the first empty arena show at Sambo Hall. This is becoming one of those, like, it, 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 if this happened 15 years prior. This is becoming a DVD-worthy feud where someone is putting down the comp of Akuta versus Ashita and you are getting to see all of these matches as smaller chapters to a greater story told, because this was three and three quarters. I mean, this was a great match, and it is just building and building to what I hope to God is an eventual Bravegate match where Akuta
1: defeats them, because I am in love with this story right now. And how can't you be, like... This is something that Good Helmet would have a comp of, of the best. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> of the best of Okuda versus Ishida for our, our old heads out there. But uh, it, it's something where, like, Okuda gets after it from the bell, which is completely in key, in tune with his character. You know how like, in 2018 and 2019 we said that no one understands himself as a character more than Pac? Okuda's on that level, but it's something that's really remarkable, and you know, we say we have the soft spot for Hio, but, like, I feel like we've now said this on two consecutive shows. When you put Hio in this context with the Bantam style, and with these guys, Hyo's great. Like this, He is... delivered
2: here. He's, he delivered here, and he has a chance to deliver on the Sambo Hall show, which we'll talk about.
1: Yeah, so, like, this is an absolute blast. I went four. Like, this is the very rare thing where, like, Case, usually you're higher on things than I am, I feel like, just in the greater scheme of things. I love this, and it just was, like, seven minutes of an absolute thing, and Something that I don't think we get to talk about a lot is Kaido Ishida looks so much just like a murderer. And it works so well. He has the, the crazy frizzed out bleached hair that now has like red highlights into it. He usually is wrestling with like his t-shirt and trunks on it. He's like just so focused on just destroying someone. That he doesn't even bother taking off his t-shirt. And it's such a cool look on top of like his style. And you have a like Keisuke Akuda who basically is the color of his tights now. <laughs> like it's gotten to that point with Akuda's tan that he is golden, and it's just such like an interesting thing. It draws your eyes to the two of them. They're two like very diametrically different looking people. Akuda has all the tan. Ashida has no tan. Ashida uh, just looks sleazy and looks like a murderer. Akuda looks kind of just like a like the trope of like the uh, the loud Japanese thug. You know, like like the whole idea like like of like a yakuza underling. Have you ever played? The- You're not a big like. Yeah, you love your Total You love your uh, stream warfare. But I don't know. Have you? Played... <laughs> I am deep into an AEW save on Tew right now. <laughs> but I, have you ever played the Yakuza series of games? Or are you no, aware of them at all? I,
2: I, I'm aware of them because I almost bought one a few months ago. My thing with video games when it's not. Uh, TW is it typically has to be basketball, baseball, football, or skateboarding for me to care about it. I am, I am the worst video game consumer where I just I just want to buy the yearly 2K update and I want to move on with my life but I was because I've got time on my hands I was experimenting with some other games, found some games I liked and uh, Rich Kreish and John Carroll of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network put over the Yakuza games so I'm aware of them but I have never played them.
1: Well, Okuda's character is kind of like because Yakuza the series is like a beat 'em up game. Basically, you you play as your character and you go throughout your neighborhoods that's based, and they go in different neighborhoods in Japan throughout the series, and you have like a whole bunch of like thugs you beat up a lot. Okuda is very much in the style of like one of the thugs you look. At. You could you could put a 3D model of KSK Okuda into the Tojo Clan and it'd make perfect sense. So that's why I say like he's like a Yakuza character. It's fantastic, but I love. Well,
2: it- yeah, to your point. I mean, you mentioned you know the Pac and Akuda thing of knowing your character so well, and Ashita should be mentioned in that right, conversation absolutely. as well. I mean, it's it's a Dragon Gate thing. Again, they're just they're the best wrestling company in the world, and, and somehow have become the least egregious ref but ref bump company in Japan all of a sudden. But of all they, companies, too. Of all companies, of all companies, they now have the most accurate and entertaining ref bumps. Who would have thought? But Asheeta. Uh, I guess we should mention the finish here where Akuda chokes out Yo and then doesn't let go of the choke until Dragon Daya has to claw him off of his, his fallen foe. And it's because Ashida is just getting under the skin of Akuda, and now they're teasing, you know, is Akuda gonna join RED? Maybe Ishida's onto something. Maybe this extreme violence is better than the more tactical approach. That Akuda has been taking. And it's just an interesting layer to the story. To go along with the great matches they've had, there's real storytelling being attempted here. And it's because it's just like that Pac thing where when he is in the ring, he knows exactly who he is. Akuda and Ishida have now ascended to a very similar level.
1: Yeah, and it's a remarkable thing. Make sure you don't miss out on DVD 3 of The Good Helmet <laughs> Ishida versus Akuda 2020 feud. Uh, the next match is. You know how I was talking about on Osaka, how they found a way to kind of dial in comedy within a serious match? This match is like the big match that it happened to. Torimon versus R.E.D. They opened the Dream Gate Champion, Naruki Doi, teaming up with Ryo Saito, defeating uh, Naruki Doi's challenger in another direct fall, Ada, and the open the Twin Gate Champion, BB Hulk. Naruki Doi with the win in 13 minutes to 15 seconds on Ata with a Bakutari sliding kick where... Boy, that's a weird friendship that I'd like to know more about is Naruki Doi and Ryo Saito.
2: Well, we kind of buried the lead on the Osaka show a little bit, because part of the reason that crowd was so lively and the atmosphere of that show was so positive was because for all of the Toriumon Generation matches, uh, Saito was out ringside with like a noisemaker and was making essentially five times as much noise as as any other person in the building. (laughs) Now, I think Saito lives at a level of about three times as loud as a normal person. Okay, Saito is someone like, I love public transportation. I wish there were trains all over this country. When I am on public transit, I am whispering at most. I do not like being loud on trains or buses. I have friends. I have good friends I feel genuinely uncomfortable riding public transit with because I think they talk too loud on the train. Rio Saito, God bless him, is in that category of a guy I do not want to be on a train with because I know he's not going to be using an indoor voice. He is going to be yelling at me whether he knows it Or not, which is great for for professional wrestling, mind you. He was really good in Osaka, and then comes here in this match with Doi, where I am, we'll we'll talk about it, of just what they are doing with Doi and Eita, and I'm very, very intrigued by it, but Saito's performance in this match needs to be mentioned, because, (laughs) yes, he's doing comedy, I mean, he wants to do Masato Yoshino's role in speed muscle, which is very, very funny. And at times they executed it to a shocking degree of success. So Saito is not dampening this Eita Doi feud because there were still moments of this match that were really intense, but Saito just brought a different element to this match that, it's probably a good thing no one else on the roster can do what he does, but in this case, it was an extreme positive where he was just bringing something else to this match that
1: no one else on the roster would be able to. You know who Rio Saito reminds me of? Did, did you Who's ever that? watch Parks and Recreation? I did. He's Andy Samberg's character.
2: Andy Samberg and Parks and Rec.
1: He was only on, like, a couple of episodes where he played the— uh park ranger that they made him be a park ranger because yeah. he has no yeah, voice yeah. modulation.
2: <laughs> my, my first thought was Harris Whittles, who was doing the animal control character on that show. Ryo Saito gives off big Harris Whittles energy, if you know who that is. I would <laughs> I would like to start that comparison.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm excited about the Cyrio foam corner. <laughs> oh god. Jeez. God bless Harris. Rest in peace. Yeah, no. That, oh god. I'm now imagining Rio Saito talking about going to over a hundred fish shows. For
2: those that don't know, Harris Whittles was an incredibly, incredibly talented comedian who wrote on the Sarah Silverman program is the all time greatest guest on the comedy bang, bang podcast who unfortunately passed away a few years ago. But I am of the firm belief that most good modern comedy is directly influenced by Harris and the way he performed. He is uh, just a, a, a master, was a master of comedic timing, of presentation, of joke telling. If you do not know who Harris Whittles is, watch the Cork and Hall show and then check out some Harris Whittles.
1: Yeah, just go on YouTube after you watch this match and search for Harris's Foam, F-O-A-M Corner. Just do it. it and it's, just,
2: some of the, it's some of the greatest audio ever recorded.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just something that, like, Cy, like the relationship and the inner dynamics of doi and Sairio is what makes the bits that ryo saito doing was doing so great because because doi would be like okay yeah we're going to do this and he like there was like a moment where they were doing the uh, the the drop down the roll through then the uh foot trip and sliding drop kick from from doi yoshi and doi was like going like this and was doing like the, the gestures for like we're going to go do this and this and ryo saito was like yes 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 and then they do it and ryo saito does the yoshino pose afterwards and then doi just goes like the this motherfucker thing and, and smacks him upside the head and it's it's fantastic stuff
2: so what do we think about doi and eta what are they doing with this food? yeah because not only is Ata losing some of these tags but he is directly being pinned direct by naruki doi f-
1: yeah direct falls by naruki doi which you know Ata has been like the big overall question about the promotion over the last few years right like what do you do with Ata? what is his true ceiling he's the giant question mark and he finally wins King of Gate, he finally has a Dream Gate shot, he acts like he does not want to take this shot, until they basically say, you're taking your shot here, or you're losing your Dreamgate Gate shot. And in the lead up, he's lost direct falls to the champion each time, which, you know, normal wrestling booking, you're like, oh, that means Ada's gonna win, right? He finally overcomes it, but that's not always the case with Dragon Gate, though.
2: Well, and especially because H is being positioned as the heel, it's not right. like the 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 traditional way of storytelling is not that H overcomes here. It would be weird if that's the case. I I I still think the doyen H title match is going to be incredibly heated, and I look forward to that match despite my feelings on H being a quasi main eventer. What I am starting to believe is that H kind of going to get destroyed in that match to an extent I think and what I would love is I would love to uh be able to have more contacts in Japan that could tell me the way that the that the home based crowds are reacting to this but I I do think our hypothesis of Ishida becoming the guy in R.E.D. I kind of think we're gonna get that sooner rather than later because I can see a scenario where even though the feud has taken so many different turns because of COVID, we do have to at some point see the end of the road of this generational warfare. Right. And despite my issues with Ada, despite the fact that I don't think he always delivers, I do think him turning on RED and helping the Drangate generation overcome the odds is a really good story. And with all of the miscommunication that's happening in RED right now, I do wonder if that is the direction they are taking and of all of the possibilities that seems most likely because I, Eita, if, if he beats Doi at this point and we'll see after the Sambo hall show, maybe things change by next week, but if Ata beats Doi at this point, I think it's going to be a weaselly gimmicky dreamgate run. That is just, I mean, we're seeing with new Japan right now that these angle heavy matches do not work, that a strong heel-driven presence in these main events is not going to be successful, given that the crowds are instructed not to make any verbal noise, that they are instructed to clap, and that is about it. I fear that an Ata run in his current character would be uh, similar to the evil matches that we've been seeing, and I think that would bomb tremendously. So I kind of just think Doi and Ata are going to have a good match at Memorial Gate, but is going to kick his head off And is just going to move on down the line into the next defense. And that is what I believe, at least as of now, again, things could change with Sambo Hall. But I think that is the story that needs to be told, because with the way Aita is taking all of these falls,
1: I fear the future a little bit if he is the next Open the Dreamgate champion. So as of July 17th as we're recording it, I'm going to lay out how I think the next three months go, because I've been thinking about this a lot. Please. All right. So we have, and we'll be bringing that f- further, we have the fir- we have the main event of the next Quarkin show in August, and it's basically teasing the uh, the uh, main event of Oda City Gymnasium at Dangerous Gate, where they're going to be doing the Dead or Alive match. Right now, we have Ada, Hulk, Shimizu, Yoshino, Kai, and Yamato in the cage. We don't have the stipulations for the cage. We don't know if it's going to be an apuestas We don't know if it's going to be anything with this. But I think that, well, there's two things. One, the Dragon Gate heel runs, you will have shenanigans. But the thing is, is that if the heel is the Dream Gate champion, they usually don't have very many shenanigans in it. Uh, Shingo Takagi, of course, very few shenanigans in his title matches. Uh, Yamato wasn't, when he was first turned heel and Mad Blanky, was not a very... Shenanigans heavy champion, and then even for like the time where Nuruki Doi was challenging and was like the interim champion, like that wasn't treated like a real reign. So they were able to do this, but the heel champions usually don't go shenanigans heavy. Shima and Blood Warriors was not a shenanigans heavy thing. So if ada is a shenanigans heavy heel champion, that's going to flop. Like that. But I do
2: think I do think Shima and Aita are two totally different cases where, all, despite Ata's track record of really good matches, those have almost all been as a baby face, and I do, I just don't think that Eita has that Shima level ability, nor do I think that's the story they want to tell with Eita. All signs have pointed to if he is going to be successful in the red, black, and yellow, which has existed for almost five years now in various forms, it is going to be with the help of the entire unit. So I I see that point, I just, because of the way Eita has been treated, I fear that they are just working on an entirely different uh, just level with him than they would someone like Shima.
1: Yeah, and that's why I think that Ada loses at Wakayama and then he gets turned on in the cage and he goes face and then Ishida takes over the reins.
2: Yeah, I'm all for that. I think that's a great plan.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's my most likely thing. like that's what how I think the next few months are gonna go. Um, the main event to transition away to some stuff that actually does build up to that cage match was a eight man tag, Dragon Gate versus Torimon. And you basically have all bangers in this. There's no, there was no obvious fall guy in this match except for current tendencies. As the Dragon Gate team was Yamato, Kai, Big Benkei, uh, Strong Machine J, going against the uh, Toryumon team of Masato Yoshino, Dragon Kid, Sumi Yokosuka, and Shuji Kondo. Kai got the win on Yoshino with a medio impact in seven minutes and thirty-four seconds. In a match that I gave four and a half stars to. The best match in Dragon Gate since March, basically. Best match in Dragon Gate since March. I thought this was truly exceptional.
2: Well, Mike, I want you to break it down before I do. I, I will I will briefly mention Kai pitting Masada Yoshino in the middle of a Dragon Gate ring in the Corgan Hall main event. I would have fainted had you told me that was going to happen two years ago. Oh. That would have been terrifying. But as I say in my review, Kai has earned this position Kai has turned his fortunes around. I hated him when he first came into this company. And I now unironically love the work Kai is doing. I have zero issues with the finish. But, Mike, I gave this match four and a half in my review. I flinched. I flinched on the four and a half. I went four and a quarter. I couldn't pull the trigger as high as you did. And on top of that, we talked briefly before the show about this match. You dissected the structure of this match even better than I did. So this is your match. You take the ball and run with it here.
1: All right. So why I think this, that this is a truly exceptional match and a match that everyone should go and see. This should be a match that before you submit a top 10 list, if you do not watch this match, then I'm going to disregard your list. Is they set up this really brilliant format that you don't see that often in this style of match. So the X factor in this match is Shuji Kondo. And the reason that he is the X-Factor is that Dragon Gate Army is able to, Dragon Kid, handle him easily. He's small. All four guys are big on the other side. They they put him away. Masato Ushino, he's old and hurt. They can take care of him. And then Sasumi Yokosuka, he's fighting strong. and He's the strongest person out of those three, but they have his number as well. But whenever Suji Kondo gets involved in this match, he is the bull in the china shop he completely wrecks house and they do not have the answer for suji kondo and it li- and it leads itself to some very interesting face-offs of course like the highlight one of course is Benkei and suji kondo i mean big boy season right there but then you have like the uh, all japan and russell one connection of kai and suji kondo going after it as well like kai i i don't know if there's something up with kai that this is the case for him but he always comes out and comes into these matches with like crazy welts on his chest and on his back. Yeah, And yeah, yeah. And he had, like, a bright welt at the end of this match, and most of that was from Suji Kondo. And then you have this leading into the finish, and the finish, I think, was truly something that shows, like, Suji Kondo is one of the smartest people in wrestling and that Kondo is going for the original, which is his pop-up power slam. And he goes for it, and they don't really get it with him and Yamato... It's not flush, so the momentum's not working, and Yamato escapes from it. And Shuichi Kondo gives a look that made it seem like that this was not like some kind of mistake. It was Yamato going out, and he was like, "Oh, this asshole thought he can get out of this," and he proceeds to give the next one that shook the ring, and it then went to such a full-flowing finish that it was just going back and forth, and it's just such an incredible thing that for like an under twenty-minute match that basically was a sprint from the start turned into something truly magical and it's one of my favorite drag game matches of the last five months
2: look there's no other company in the world that can do this uh i am glad that it seems like AEW is diving into these multi-man matches and i think with their roster guys that have experience in gate or the lucha brothers who are noted gate fans they're going to succeed with that style but the flawless execution of the story being told here simply no other promotion In the world can do that. Now, Mike broke down the match. Great. There are two things I want to briefly mention. One is specifically the spot where Shuji Kondo hair whips Yamato over Kondo's body and onto the canvas. It's, It's a spot he's done before. It's a spot he's done to big guys and small guys alike. It is one of the most shockingly violent moves in all of wrestling. And for him to do that to Yamato... The ace of the company was another one of those moments, kind of like Benora standing up to Mochizuki's kick where I'm already really into this show. I'm really into this match. And then that happens. And I'm like, Oh, Oh wow. Okay. All right. This is, this is something else. And the other thing that I should know is that Shuji Kondo who came in, you know, in last January wrestled Mochizuki appeared a few other times and these fun appearances, you know, the ultimate match at Kobe world was great, but the, the matches weren't necessarily great returns in February of this year at Corken and hall. The last Corken hall show before this has a really, really great match, a tag match and then full-time on the fourth and has delivered in every match since. But Mike, there are still guys on this roster specifically in the Dragon gate generation that Shuji Kondo, whether it be, from the reunion appearances last year or his full-time work this year, he has not touched. And it is the guys that we have talked about consistently throughout this show as the most exciting guys on the roster. Shuji Kondo has not been in the ring with KZ. Shuji Kondo has not been in the ring with Dragon Daya. And Shuji Kondo has not been in the ring with Kaisuke Okuda. So he is delivering the goods as expected against your your Ben K's and your Big R Shimizu's and your Kai's, guys that he can just sort of run into and bounce off of. But as we saw particularly in the July 5th match, where it was Kondo and Dragon Kid against Ben K and Jason Lee, Shuji Kondo held his own against Jason Lee's, what we would call, unorthodox offense. So I have no doubt when Kondo steps up a tier to that top tier drag generation level and your KZs and Dias and Akudas get in the ring against him. I have no doubt that we are going to be witnessing greatness because it seems so dumb now after the fact that I understand the heat and the politics behind it. But Kondo didn't wrestle in Drangate from the end of 2004 until 2018. And Kondo had an incredible career. All Japan Junior Champion. One of my favorite title runs in the history of All Japan is what Kondo did in that company. His match with Kitty Omega is spectacular. I believe that was during Omega's reign, but the point stands. Had a great run in pro wrestling. Noah had a great run in Wrestle 1. But Kondo coming back to Drangate on a Macro level just feels right, and he is delivering the best work he's done in years against this roster. And there is so much of the roster that hasn't even come in contact with him yet. So, Shuji Kondo returning to Dragon Gate for multiple reasons can only be looked at as a giant win for everyone involved.
1: Absolutely, and as we get into the cards coming up. He's going to get another one of those really interesting things. It could be another huge win as well. So do you have any other big thoughts on the Quarkin before we move on to previewing upcoming shows? No, let's uh, let's break down the uh, next show. Yep, Corkin will remain up on the network, at least as a Japanese version, uh, until the 22nd. Don't know when, again, when the English version will be posted, if it's posted. But as soon as it is, we will let you know on Twitter. So the only televised show next week is the uh, returning truly home as Dragon Gate will be returning to Kobe Sambo Hall on the 19th. It goes live on the network at 5 p.m. Japanese Standard Time, which is 4 a.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time and 1.30 for the West Coast. And interesting card, at least from the uh, outlook on it, just like looking it up and down. I'm just going to run down the card, and I'll get your thoughts, case. Yeah, please. All right, match zero, opening match is Yuzushi Kanda versus Problem Dragon Mondai Ryu. Opening match is a unaffiliated tag team of Masaki Mochizuki and Susumi Okosuka. The Mochizuki, the Mochi Mochi Connection, is back as they go up against KZ and Yosuke Santa Maria. Match two is Dragon Gate versus RED as Benkei and Dragon Dya face off against Kazuma Sakamoto and Diamante. Match three, the singles match on the show, is Toryumon versus Dragon Gate Kakatora versus Keisuke Akuda. Match four is Toryumon versus Dragon Gate in a trio's match as. Ultimo, DK, and Cyreo go up against Yamato, Kai, and Strong Machine J. Match 5 is Dragon Gate versus RED Tag Team Match. This is going to be your Twin Gate uh, go-home match with Kota Menor and Jason Lee, the uh, current number one contenders for the Twin Gate Championships. We'll go up against one half of the Open the Twin Gate Champions, BB Hulk and Takashi Oshida. The main event, Torimon versus RED 8-man tag as we get... The, the, this Toribon team is insane as we're getting Doi Yoshi, Speed Muscle, Naruki Doi, and Masato Shino teaming up with Shuji Kondo. So we get a little bit of Italian connection going on as well. And Ginky Horiguchi going up against, kind of with the exception of Hulk, the top four people in uh, R.E.D. Well, top four people in Hio with Ada, Big R. Shimizu, Kade, uh, Kaito Ishida, and Hio in case. Real interesting go home show, I think.
2: Really, really fun. I like the look of this show When this. When this card was released, I sent you a message, Mike, and I was like, eh, it's a, it's a Sambo hall show. And then I looked at it again today. So I was doing notes for the show and I was like, you know what? There's, there's a lot of stuff I really like on this show. I mean, I'll go down the the, the whole card here and just briefly give my thoughts. I mean, Mochizuki and Susumu against KZ uh, and Yasuke that's gonna be a really fun match. I mean, that's a match if it's positioned as match four or five. We're talking about that could hit spreadsheet level. It's match one, it's not gonna have that same intensity, but it's gonna be strong. I think match two, Ben K and Dia versus Sakamoto and Diamante, it's a good matchup for everybody involved. And what I find so intriguing about this is that at this time last year, you know, Mike and I were working overtime to get this idea of Ben K becoming an air quotes ace over to everybody. Cause that's the direction that things were heading. And at you know G- July 17th, July 18th, July 19th, 2019 Ben K was the guy. And a year later, he's a third of the triangle gate champions and he's in match two, which is not an indictment on Ben K. I have come to peace with the way they're using him. I actually, I, I have enjoyed him immensely as of late, but it is not him that we're focused on now. It is dragon Daya, his partner, who is getting the rightful praise that he deserves. And I, again, like I said earlier, every single match that dragon die is involved in, I am glued to the TV. I can't wait to see what he does. I think Akuda Kagatora and the uh, following six man, the Toru Yaman versus versus Drankate match. Those could be fine. I'm looking forward to seeing what those are. Minoru and Jason Lee versus Hulk and Yoshida. I'm assuming Yoshida takes the fall here. This I think that's going to give us a good gauge on what BB Hulk is going to be able to bring in Wakayama for the Twin Gate match. So I look forward to that. And then the main event, a lot of interesting things at play here because it's Doi and Eita. And as we've talked about, Doi is directly beating Ata in their matches with one another. You've got Aita and Yoshino, who they've been going at it all year. Yoshino's been taking a lot of falls lately. Maybe going into Doi versus Aita. Maybe it's... Uh, Yoshino who takes the fall and Aita gets one up on Doi going into their title match. You've obviously got Kondo against Shimizu and Kondo versus Ishida here. Those pairings should be phenomenal. Horiguchi and Ishida once again, maybe the match just ends with Horiguchi submitting to Ishida once more and we all pack our bags and go home. And then you've got Yo who I think on paper is the natural fall post in this match, but given the way everyone else has been booked, I'm not sure he's going to be the one eating a pin here, but yo, in a main event spot is exciting. I mean, he's going to pull his weight enough. I would assume to where he can be carried to greatness by Dory Yoshino, Kondo and Horiguchi. It's a good opportunity for yo to really shine in front of a bigger crowd, or I guess, you know, a, a decent sized crowd at Samba hall. So I have no idea what the finish of this match is going to be. But I know I am really, really excited to watch it. I mean,
1: I'm intrigued by the idea of Kondo and Hio.
2: That could Kondo be... and Yo, Kondo and Ashida. Because I don't, I don't think off the top of my head. Maybe I'm already forgetting something. But have we seen Kondo and Ashida yet together?
1: I let me. I put up my notebook. Let me check. I don't think they happened in uh, KBS Hall. So
2: didn't happen in KBS Hall, and it didn't happen uh, the prior week. So I mean, that would be right. That would be another first-time pairing. It's like I said, we've we've already seen a lot of Kondo. He's had four matches make tape this month, but again, it's he's he's untouched by most of this roster. And confirming now, those two have not wrestled each other before. So I'm delighted to see what they are going to bring to the table.
1: Yeah, and it's just like a really interesting way that that to build to this uh, to to the next month's big shows, just because of the next two months, really. Because you have enough stuff here that plays into Wakayama, they have stuff that's going to play into Dangerous Gate, so it's really kind of uh, captivating to see how this will go. And then, yeah, and the semi-main, it's maybe this is a match that I mean, he's going to get two weeks between this and Wakayama, so Hulk doesn't have to go full bore if he needs to be, or he can, and just know he has two weeks to rest up for Wakayama. And then, you know, Yamato Kai and Strong Machine J have been a really fun trio, and. It is against the Ultimo team, so my uh, opinion that match is couched by that. And then Daya and Diamante have great chemistry, and it's kind of become like my favorite person to have Diamante go up against. So there's a lot for people to seek their teeth into. Again, that show is on the 19th on the network live. But in case we do have some ways they're going to be going throughout August and September, as we've talked about this a lot, we'll have more in-depth thoughts next week as we should probably have a full card by that point with the Memorial Gate 2020 and Wakayama show will be on August 2nd. I don't know if this is live, but I know it's going to be on the network in some fashion if it's on VOD or if it's live. We have the two top title matches already declared. It is Naruki Doi defending against Ada, the 2020 King of Gate winner. And then the open the Twin Gate match as BB Hulk and Kazuma Sakamoto defend against Jason Lee and Kota Minenura. As well, we have the main event for August's Corkin show as it is the Road to Dangerous Gate six-way match as Yamato versus Kai versus Ada versus BB Hulk versus Big R Shimizu versus Masato Yoshino will be the main event. Of course, this was going to be the main event of the March Corkin before the COVID outbreak. And then far off in the distance, but it's coming to us faster and faster is the Oda City Gymnasium Dangerous Gate 2020, September 21st. The six way cage match is back as it will be Yamato versus Kai versus Ada versus BB Hulk versus Big R Shimizu versus Yoshino. Stipulation and match rules will be announced at a later date.
2: Yeah, there's a lot to be excited about. Uh, the The six man at the next Corkin and at the following cage match. Uh, it's tough to speculate on those now just because of. I the the six man match at Cork, and I have no idea what that is going to oh, look six like. Six way, six way, six. Yeah, that yeah, six way, and then obviously the cage match. We don't have the stipulation, so it is it is tough to say one way or another. But yeah, it's it's good stuff. I mean, I'm looking forward to watching all of this because, as I've said since the top of the show, I really like the direction that things are headed. So I, I, I'm very curious to see. I mean, they obviously have plans and have big plans for the six-way match at Corkin and the preceding cage match because that is the one thing that they have held on to we got the ghc tag match in at an empty arena show that was scheduled for the march Corkin. now they are bringing back the main event of that show and then moving the cage match from uh the dead or alive show to dangerous gate which i read a lot of uh I'm not angry, but concerned fans in uh Aichi it sounds like of like why are you taking away our cage match? Why are you giving it to another <laughs> crowd this year? Um unfortunately that is the way the dice rolls in 2020, but it's a Dragon Gate cage match. It is uh, the best thing every single year. So I look forward to that as
1: well. And, and it's something like hey, Aichi Nagoya, it's going to be cool. They, they will probably do something big for you in 2021. Like cool your jets. Like, yes, it stinks. The cage match has been at Dead or Alive for the last, like, five years, but things change, and come on, sit with us. It's okay, but you know, at least without having, like, a big show Naichi, we don't get the favorite trope in Naichi of Dragon Kid losing, so they should be God, happy about that. God,
2: you know, you know Ashida would just destroy him in a Brave Gate match <laughs> if things were normal. <laughs> right, it right, would just get right. ugly quick.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that would be, that would be very sad, but that would be what would have to happen, so... That's what we have coming up ahead. We do have a couple more things we wanted to talk about before we get out of here this week. Uh, This week on the Voices of Wrestling website, we've launched a weekly series that was called Heat Seekers and Hustlers, where we were talking about how the five prospects, it was myself, Andy Labar, uh, Taylor Mainberg, and I'm blanking on his last name, and I feel bad that I'm blanking on his last last name. I apologize. Shh.
2: Mike, not a Gerard dedicated member. Gerard De
1: Sorry, there I knew it was go. Gerard. It's just like, I always forget his last name. Gerard DiTrolio, who does like all the All Japan coverage. So yes. if, if you're into All Japan, be sure to catch out, check out Gerard DiTrolio. And we just basically, the four of us each picked four people that we find interesting to watch. Our only kind of real rule we had is we didn't want someone who was like a true born rookie, unless there's a good reason. And we didn't want someone who had like five years at a high level. So it's kind of like, I took this aspect as like what is baseball prospectus does for people who are like in double A and triple A before they hit big time. And that's kind of how I wrote at least my section. My the five Dragon Gate people I put as the people to watch are Dragon Dia, who I think is kind of the consensus top prospect in Dragon Gate, and then Kota Minanora, which that's a real flash of brilliance for me, by the way, picking Kota Minora before the biggest week of his career. <laughs> and then as well, uh, Kentoku Kubune was my rookie choice, just as like I feel like that he's kind of like the supernova rookie right now. And then two interesting ones, uh, two people that I think that could really have or really have interesting stories, and Jimmy and Oji Shiba.:
2: Yes. Yeah, no, you, I think you, uh, you nailed the list of guys. That are included there. Uh, like we said at the top of the show, there's just so many prospects in the company now, and I particularly look at Jimmy as a real case of success. Uh, right. Someone that that came in as a DTU import has taken. Not exactly the mantle that Flamita once held, because Flamita was pushed out as an upper mid-card guy, but Jimmy is someone that stuck around through the pandemic, spent time in the dojo, and my gut is that he will be rewarded with a Brave Gate challenge or something like that. At I don't some think he's point.
1: 82 kilos. That's the problem.
2: That is true. He is huge. Maybe he needs to just pin Shuji Kondo in the middle of the ring because he <laughs> does have hashtag that beef. Uh, he is, he is that, that kind of guy now, but yeah, I, I mean, for me, you know, Jimmy is one that will never be a main eventer, at least in Japan, but I think has a good story. OG Shiba's fascinating. It's just a matter of whether or not he will stay healthy for a prolonged period of time. It's something that plagued his brother Kotoka, and it has unfortunately been passed down onto him. But for me, the, the crown jewel of Dragon Gate right now, even more so than Dragon Dya who I think the world of, who, again, other than Kenny Omega, I think he's the best wrestler in the world right now. Kenta Kabune is the guy that you have to pay attention to. Again, it's like when Al Lindemann debuted. It's like when Futa Nakamura, who turned into Ben K, debuted. You have to take notice of him. The way he's being positioned, the way he's being treated, this company is going to use him and his going to use him in important and main event level situations sooner rather than later
1: yeah and the reason why i picked og just is i feel like that, that he was the case of the interesting story in a lot of ways like he is someone that still struggles to get ring time even now that he's been healthy for almost a full year but it's something that like coming in as like obviously wanting to be the person to pick up his brother's mantle and then losing 14 months, and then coming back. And it's just, like, a very interesting thing where I don't know what the ceiling is for OG Shiba. Is he going to be someone that could be, like, a third on a Triangle Gate team? Maybe. Is he someone...
2: I, that, that that would be his peak right there. Is the third guy on a Triangle Gate team.
1: Is he someone that can put it all together, like how Kodaman and Nora has, and become, like, a Brave Gate challenger? Maybe. Like, it, it, he's, like, this giant X-Factor, so that's why... I really wanted to pick him. Then, yeah, Jimmy's really interesting because, like, he is the first true dojo gaijin that they've had since the UHA Nation, I would say. Like, true gaijin, like, coming in as, like, a pseudo-rookie and becoming, like, this... The, the new person there so like it, it's very complicated and interesting with him then yeah dragon dia has the clearest and the easiest ceiling to achieve as he's almost already hit his ceiling in a lot of ways and i don't know if that's really a ceiling now like the only thing as i said in the article the only thing that's holding him back is the laws of physics koda menor were in the uh we're seeing the ascent of kota menor and who knows where it takes us and then as you said Code, kento kabune the person that if i'm if i have the pencil i'm writing in what the uh the uh, K- the uh, Kobe, Kobe world main event is in five years, I'm probably going to put Kento Kabuna there as well.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. So it, it's, again, we, we've been in this situation before. We've had a plethora of young prospects that seem like they're going to take over the world. And that generation, it's not that they failed, but they didn't live up to the hype. And some of those factors were out of the control. Again, Yam- Yamamura... Just It's an awful story the way his career has gone. T-Hawk is obviously gone. Ata didn't pan out, at least in the way that I think they secretly hoped. Uh, and Big R is not being used the way we maybe thought he would, even though he's pushed and protected to an extent and has held multiple titles. And then Ben K has delivered. I mean, Ben K is everything we thought he would be. Uh, now we've got this new generation, and we're in the same spot because no one seems to produce prospects quite as quickly or as often as Drangate does, and we are now seeing those guys take that next step. And you have to remember, we are discussing all of these shows without Shun Skywalker and without Yuki Yoshioka, so the pipeline is even
1: deeper than many realize. Oh, that reminds me. You know what, y- what Yuki Yoshioka and Shun Skywalker are doing today on the 17th? What are they doing today? There is a DTU show that's going to be streamed live there's a real convoluted way that they do ipay per view in Mexico. Basically, you have to get like a bank account number and a WhatsApp app, and they send you a link. No, it's, nope, <laughs> it, nope, it not doing that. It'll <laughs> probably be on a YouTube account sometime next week. But there's a DTU show that's happening at a pool. That's what the, that, that's what their summer vacations like. They're going to the pool today.
2: I hope I'm in a position 10 years from now to do the oral history on Shun Skywalker's excursion because there are stories that will need to be
1: told. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one last note about the rookies and the dojo. I did a count. 14 people they've debuted since 2016.
0: 14. That's
1: incredible. That's,
2: that's incredible.
1: I mean, when you compare it, like, New Japan gets one or two a year. Uh, All Japan, one or two a year. Noah, one. DDT, <laughs> one,
2: one, one a decade one a
1: decade ddt <laughs> does crank out people like ddt's dojo does crank out people but 14 in dragon gate and that's insane that's insane okay so i knew you wanted to hit on this really quickly before we get out of here The the stuff that's going up on dg network this week or this month rather
2: yeah i always it, it's my fault because i i don't ever get around to watching a lot of the archive content that is put up on dragon Gate network in a timely fashion i always feel like with the the Torium on TV that they're uploading in order from the start. I always feel like I'm watching it like a month after it's uploaded. So it's, it's tough to talk about on the podcast, but since King of gate, they've been doing a really fun series called you were young then on the website where they're showing the debut matches of in a randomized order, of guys on the roster. And it was really cool in the beginning because like KZ's debut was on a next show. And that had never been shown before. They showed Yamato's debut, which was the full version of that match. Whereas the original version aired clips on TV. You had the punch, Tamanaga debut, which was on a Bayouden produce show I did not realize they had the rights to that footage still, but they do. Ben K's debut happened at a next show. We had never seen that footage before. I think we talked about it on the podcast because I had a file on my hard drive that I thought was the earliest Ben K match out there. And then they one-upped me and just uploaded the debut. And there's still some fun stuff Going on in the series, the UT debut is worth watching. If you've never seen that, that is a really, really important Kobe Sambo hall show, but they're now doing a thing where like a few weeks ago, they uploaded Don Fuji's debut. And then this week they uploaded dragon kids debut. But the problem is that is the same match. <laughs> they are in the same six man. And on top of that, it's a match that is already available on the Dragon gate network. So it's unfortunate that they are not necessarily dipping their toes into the Torium Mexico pool, or at least giving us something else to offer there. But still in the past two weeks, we have the super Shisa debut, which is on the December 10th, 2001 show, which has the Shima Mochizuki hair match, which I've never seen this match before. So I'm going to sit down and watch this after we're done recording. And then just yesterday they uploaded the Kagatora debut match, which is the main event of the first Toriumon X show. This is a match I have never seen. My biggest hole in the Drangit viewing is Toriumon X. I've seen practically none of it. And Ishimori <laughs> is in this match that, that also features Suwa.
1: That's probably a decent reason why you voted. Oh,
2: yeah, no, no. I've had the opportunity. I've just avoided it. <laughs> but, you know, Kagator is in this match with Taiji Ishimori and, and Sua. It's a four-on-three tag, which I think sums up Toriyama X right there. The main event of the debut show is a four-on-three tag. I do not know why. But, yeah, there's there's a ton of fun stuff on the network. And the archive while I wish they were doing more with it, while I think there are opportunities, both on the Japanese side and on the English side, that they're not necessarily taking advantage of, there's good stuff there. And if you are on the fence about purchasing the network, because maybe, oh, well, I don't know if I'm going to get to these shows quick enough, and then they leave the network. If you have any interest in the history of the Dragon system, the archive is now deep enough to where... I have to recommend it. I mean, they just uploaded the Masada Yoshino debut match, which is from the first T2P show. And that match is one of those holy shit, one of my watching wrestling matches. It was something completely different at the time. So there's, there's a gold mine in there. You just have to kind of dig for it a little bit. Uh, if you need recommendations for anything on the network, by all means, tweet at me at underscore in your case or tweet at the Open the Voice Gate account at Open Voice Gate, And we will get back to you.
1: Yeah, and also, if you're looking for, like, I know he's done this, the J at DG underscore J has, like, a great, like, guide and kind of, like, chronological order thing going on. With yeah, for for the well.
2: Toriumon TV that, again, they've they've uploaded that since the start, and they're in the middle of 2001 right now. So the first 18 months of Toriumon are all on the Gate network at this point, which there's stuff in there that... I had never seen before uh, there's there's blocks of TV that I had just not seen until they were uploaded. And, and like you mentioned, Jay's Twitter has a, a brief Twitter rundown tweet rundown of everything worth watching on those TV shows when they're uploaded once a month. So it's, it's again, the archive has grown to a point that it makes the network worth it. And then plus you've got almost uh almost 10 or maybe 10 live shows between this month and next month there's a ton of content live content added to the network now with all of the shows that dragon gate is running so it's it's an exciting time to follow the product it's an exciting time to watch the product
1: as well and i think that's a great note to to end on case okay, is there anything you wanted to plug or head on before we get out of here
2: no, just uh, just the Open the Voice Gate Twitter at Open Voice Gate, uh, then my own account uh, at underscore in your case, and that is that is it. And then the Dragon Gate USA Rewind and Rewatch series, which Mike and I are up to WrestleMania weekend 2011. By the time, oh no, I guess we'll be at the United finale by the time most of you listen yeah. to this. But Dragon Gate WrestleMania weekend 2011 is coming. We are in a very interesting point in time. And during it, USA's history.
1: Yeah, it. We're we're getting to the a point of time where we're in 2011. Blood Warriors is out here, and we're right now like with by a speeding bullet getting to start Blood Warriors versus Junction Three, and it's been a whole lot of fun to, to do. And I think we have, we're, we're getting close to the halfway point of that series, which is wild.
2: Yeah, no, it's uh, it's something I've been monitoring is when we hit that halfway point, but it has been. So much fun sitting down with Mike every week and talking about Dragon Gate USA from an in-ring perspective and a business perspective. And We've now got 10 years of hindsight on some of this stuff. By the time the series ends, we'll have, you know, six or seven years of hindsight on it. It's It's been great. Dragon Gate USA is, I will say, a misunderstood promotion.
1: Yeah, and hopefully through this series, everyone gets a chance to understand it as it actually was and not tropes and misconceptions. So. Be sure to check that out as well. But that's going to do it for us here. For Case, I'm Mike, and we'll catch you next time on Open the Voice Gate. Take care, everyone.